Well, good morning. It's always good to be home. Uh, this is home for us. It's been an interesting journey. We came here to finish here. We thought we'd live here forever. Uh, and we have been a part of this family for all those years. It's just been from afar. And we always think of this place as home and always will. And I'm reminded every time we reflect on this church, I believe we are blessed as a missionary body. <clears throat> I was telling someone this morning, so many of my peers don't know what it is to have a home church. Uh, don't know what it is to be loved on and be cared for and have a place that you can point to on the map that you go and that's, that's where you live. And that is a great, great blessing. We thank you for your faithfulness, uh, your love for us, and in so many ways you always express how much you care for us. I want to thank the leadership teams, all the men and women that have come through here and been a part of that. Thank the missions committee uh, that had so many members that have come through here and gone on that, and we have been greatly blessed. As we start this morning, I'm, as Mark mentioned, I've been asked to give a report, and whenever you give a report, I want to remind us that we're here to do one thing, and that's glorify the Lord, and I want to read what I believe, there's got to be music written to this song, I think it's one of the greatest verses in Scripture, and it's one of my favorites, so if there's not any, maybe somebody here will write something to it, uh, but if you can read that, yeah, you can read that. Uh, I will read it. It's, I think it's, this is what it's all about. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of my ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. And I love this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. This is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. And power and might are in your hand, your discretion. People are made great and given strength. Oh God, we thank you and praise you for your glorious name. And as we start this morning, that's where the glory and the praise is due. Uh, we are tools and have the great blessing of being used of the Lord, but he is the one who does the work. He is the one that's worthy of the glory and the honor in this. And the second thing is I want you to know, I have, a, I have a great sense of responsibility in this body. You have invested a tremendous amount of money and time in us. And I, what I'd like to do this morning is to give account uh, for some of the things that you've invested us on that I hope will encourage you. I hope it will cause you to praise the Lord and give glory to Him. I hope it will give you a greater passion for the world that begins at the front door and goes to the ends of the earth. And then I pray it will cause you to want to live for His glory in whatever ambient or context in which the Lord has placed you. And I want to share a reflection to start with. I don't do this often, but this I'm calling this a missionary reflection. I hope it will maybe cause you to think. But as I was thinking about one of the greatest blessings of being in missions is the opportunity to leave our country and to go to another part of the world and live in it that has different values, different geography, and something totally different of who we are. Uh, and then to turn around while you're there and to look at our culture from the outside, because everything looks different from the outside, and to look at who we are and how the world sees us and how all that operates. And if I could wish anything for every person here this morning, that you would have the blessing of living outside our nation at least five years in a developing part of the world. Uh, if there's anything that's changed our lives, it's been this, and I can promise you if you did that, you would come back with a greater sense of appreciation and thankfulness to God for our nation in spite of its imperfections. 
Um, I believe one of the greatest influences on our nation has been the Judeo-Christian values that were embraced by our forefathers and has allowed us to shape our culture and how we live on that. Did these values enable us to make a perfect nation? Absolutely not. Doesn't exist in this world. Nobody's perfect. However, without this foundation, we'd not be free to discuss and to debate and to struggle with the things we're struggling with today as a nation. The vast majority of the world around us will never have that liberty. If you're watching the news and you've seen uh, Myanmar, Senegal, people are dying in the streets because they're speaking out against those in authority. And we often forget about the value. We we're, tend to be very myopic as a culture, uh, focused on ourselves and who we are. And we forget about the value of looking at our problems from a larger panorama. And I really think we have a lot that we could learn from the world around us and what they go through. And one of the things I'd say is they live in incredibly difficult context and suffer in ways that we can never imagine, we've never experienced. And they offer us the opportunity to look at injustice, moral struggles, and life from a more holistic perspective. And may God allow us to see how blessed we've been and how, how greatly he's, he's cared for this nation. And I say that because one of the uh, greatest uh, weaknesses in Israel, when they became ungrateful, excuse me, ungratefulness leads to unfaithfulness. And gratefulness produces faithfulness. And I, my desire is that God would always put in all of our hearts a sense of gratefulness for who we are and how He's blessed us. And may we remember that the only thing that will make this world what we want it to be is heart change. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to work. Everything else will be a temporary Band-Aid, and, and the only thing that's going to fix the broken systems and everything's around us is when we have a heart change that is produced through coming to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and what we most need in our country today is that uh, believers in churches whose greatest passion is to be Christ-like in our actions and our words. And our hope for this is based upon the fact that we're sinners, but he died for us. And we have been redeemed by him. We have been bought by him and purchased by him. We've been freed from the chains of the past. And what that means is that we can begin anew every and any day. And there's nothing too large or too great. And lastly, we have the glorious promise that one day, no matter what happens, we will be transformed as he is. We will be like him, whether that means he comes for us or we go to him. And if we start here, God will be able to do in my life and in your life and what he needs to do in our country for us to unite as a nation to be able to glorify him and proclaim the gospel to the world. My second reflection is on the fact that I'm in the fall season of life, and for me, it's been one of my most joyous seasons. And when I say fall season, I'm really talking about those things that uh, where you hit that point in life where you can lay aside that long list of responsibilities and things that have controlled and directed your life for many, many years and, uh, and pushed you and caused you to run and be stressed and, and hurry, and you have the time to finally slow down and look at things differently. Um, and I think that uh, 
that has, for me, has been a very special time. I think we often view aging from a negative perspective. And, and really what aging brings, it brings us to a point where we have to slow down, uh, we have to get quiet, and we are in a place to where we can begin to hear God in ways that we've never heard Him before. And one of the things that I grieve over is that we're such a youth-focused culture is that we often view aging from a negative perspective. Um, and aging allows us to see that we're not in this world long under the best of circumstances and the value of having an eternal perspective. And it has a way, again, of, of cleaning out our lives and getting all that noise out and all those distractions out. And again, we finally can get still and hear him. As we saw this morning, sometimes the fall season of life is difficult. And I've thought a lot about the Jaquis and the Mullison families. And there are different roads and journeys that the Lord takes us on. And I, I always pray for the wisdom to understand it, to see things as God sees them, and to understand the purposes He works in all of that. Um, but the only thing in reality we have control over is how we choose to respond to the opportunities or to the challenges that God gives us. Uh, and I believe as believers, we are challenged when those difficulties happen to trust God for His grace, strength, and peace as He journeys alongside us, and to always live each day aware that He is sovereign, His grace is sufficient, and He is with us. The other side of the card, I'll mention this real quickly, is that we have a free will, and that simply talks about those things over which we do have control. Uh, and I'm really talking about how do we care for this earthly temple. And I simply want to challenge us, are we caring for these bodies that God has given us? Uh, you may not want to live to be 90 or 100, but will you live long enough to come to the fall season of life, and will you still be healthy enough and physically mobile enough if the Lord so deems to call you to another part of the world or to serve Him in any number of ways? I believe there's two times you can shape your life. In the 20s and in the 60s, there's an opportunity to rewrite your life. Uh, you can begin anew when you hit 65 or 60. Uh, and I think we've had multiple examples. I was thinking of two families real quickly. The Courtney family and the Walkup family have been beautiful models of couples that have taken the fall season of life and used them in a grandiose way to, to show us how to live for the cause of the gospel. And might the Lord cause all of us to think in that way. You get 65, you might have a, easily another 15, you might have another 20 or 25 years. And we have an older, a group of older men and women that could be one of the greatest workforces the, the, called the body of Christ has ever seen, if we were to honestly uh, look at that and respond to that. And if you hadn't already turned me off, if you're, if you're under 40, one of these days you're going to have to answer that if you're blessed enough to be where I'm standing today. And I challenge you, rather than uh, now's the time to begin, to live in such a way that you will be ready physically and emotionally and spiritually that when you get to this season of life, you can say, Lord, what do I do? What do you want me to begin? Where do you want me to go? I'm sorry, I've been yakking all weekend. Forgive me. Um, but I challenge you to do that. And for my uh, fall season of life, God has given me two passions. I want to deepen and continue to walk with Him. And then I, would, I, I have a passion of serving pastors and leaders in the Spanish-speaking world. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I think a, a good question is, why uh, the focus on leaders and why the Spanish-speaking world? And I think we're all aware there's two foundations in the church. The family, 
Godly families produce godly churches, and godly families come out of churches that have godly leadership. And both those foundations are under tremendous attack in today's world, and my heart particularly goes out to the men and women that lead our churches around the world as we battle the difficulties of life in today's world. They are worthy of our prayers and our love and our care. For those of you who want to talk about why the Spanish-speaking world, some of you may or may not know a little bit about Boost God Premier. I'd like to talk to you about where we serve. Uh, this is an interesting year. We're beginning our 10th year in Mexico, our 8th year in Honduras, our 6th year in El Salvador, our 4th year in Cuba. We've also served in Spain, in Colombia, and in Panama. Uh, we don't continue in all of those because there's, we don't have enough personnel to do that. And I would covet your prayers that God would bring more people to serve with us. Our primary focuses are Mexico, Honduras, and El Salvador. And uh, since the majority of our missionaries that have been Spanish speakers have gone to Mexico, I wanted to share with you, well, what are you doing in Central America? Because that's, that's a good question. Some of you may remember, it's been three or four years ago, so I should have looked it up, but I didn't, when I shared with you this fact right here. If you can see that circle right there, it defines what is the most violent, non-at-war region in the world. There are more men and women dying in that circle, which you see goes from southern Florida, swings around and catches the tips of, of Colombia and Venezuela, than in any non-at-war region in the world. Think about that. That's our backyard. And I hope that when you look at that, you quickly see the importance of it and, and why we should be concerned. And this explains why there's so many people trying to come this way from the south. They live in a, in a part of the world is coming apart at the seams. Uh, and hear me when I say that. Um, and uh, within that, in Central America, you have what is known as the Northern Triangle, which is composed of Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And it's so named because of the violence, the corruptions, and the gangs that are in that part of Central America. And I think a good question, why is there so much violence? Because there are reasons, uh, and I believe the greatest reason is what I was sharing with is our greatest blessing. They don't live in countries that had a biblical basis. Uh, no one has ever helped them define what is truth, and particularly what is biblical truth. And truth is experiential. It's what I need and what you need to make things work for us. Um, we had an, a member of our team in Mexico City was involved in a five-car pileup. It was caused by a bus. She was the only one who didn't leave the scene of the accident, and she was arrested and given a ticket as being the guilty of the accident, although she was the very first car. Uh, make a long story short, when it came to trial, the bus driver, who was guilty, they did finally capture, walked up and publicly rebuked her of how stupid she was to stay on the scene of the accident, and they were there that day because she didn't leave. Now, I want you to understand, in his worldview, that was a sincere rebuke. He wasn't being hypocritical. He was telling the truth. She should have run in the light of what he's been taught and the culture he lives in. We have two policemen in uh, our study in, in El Salvador, uh, and they work in the most difficult of all ambience, I believe, in, in, in the developing world. They have two worlds in which they have to survive. They have a, a world among their peers as policemen, and then they have to go out and live on the chaos and the violence of the streets. And I want to tell you a little story about this gentleman right here. That is Ulises and his wife, Maria Elena. He's been a policeman for 20 years. His son followed him a couple of years ago, and he came home one day, and he said, Dad, they're going to kill me. I've got to get out of the country. 
And you might be thinking, well, what gang was it? It was his fellow officers. And because his dad was a policeman, they were gracious enough to give him a warning and say, you can get out of here if you'll leave quickly. He had seen something you shouldn't see, said something you shouldn't have said, and that is life in their context. For most Latin Americas, uh, Americans, what is right and just has little to do with anything. They must conform to the system if they want to survive. And this is a way of life. Right or wrong or indifferent, it is how they live. Their values have been shaped outside of Scripture. Uh, and it has an incredible impact when you live in it and you feel the depth of it and realize everything runs in, 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 in this broken system. A second reason is one-third of the population lives in poverty. Uh, they say the unemployment's only about 10%. I believe it's probably closer to 30 But even if it is 10%, you make the average minimum wage is $10 a day. Uh, and you multiply that out, and you quickly see that is not enough for anyone to feed their family on. Uh, and that causes a continual movement towards people that pay more. And believe me, the cartels can offer you money. Everybody has money to offer. Uh, and then getting to that, the third reason is gangs and violence. In El Salvador, the capital or the country, there are 60,000 gang members. And look at that. In 247 of the 262 municipalities, there are gangs. If I have an issue with you, we go to the gang. And they will hear us out. And they decide what's going to be done and what won't be done. He may be 25 years old, but he's the person in charge. Um, and they extort you pay for protection, they're watching movement, and for a young man or woman to walk across the street without thinking can be life and death. If you walk into the territory of another gang, you are dead. Um, and I have a, a couple that are teachers, I meant to put their picture in here, I don't know, I didn't. They, she teaches in one of the most dangerous areas in the city. He drops her off a half mile from the school, they can't enter where the school is. One, it's too complicated a process, and then number two, they probably would not come out with their car or, or whatever if they did enter in there, uh, and that is the reality of life for them. Uh, number three, excuse me, is that 50% of all homicides occur between, uh, among, among men between the ages of 15 and 29. For men under 26, you have the, one of the lowest life expectancies in the world. Those dark numbers there show you uh, the number of, of homicides per 100,000. And you'll look again, the top three are Salvador, Honduras, and, and Guatemala. Uh, again, violent parts of the world uh, and very difficult places to live. And then you look at the life of women. Uh, you have 14 of the top 20 countries for femicides in, in the world located in that circle I showed you, and in Central America and the Caribbean. Uh, I'm sorry, that didn't change. Uh, I guess I went the wrong way. I guess I'm going backwards here. Oops, excuse me. Well, I lost it. Okay, my bad. Uh, it was basically was showing the number of femicides uh, in, in the homicides against women in Latin America, and my heart goes out for women. I uh, cannot tell you how hard life is for women in Latin America uh, and just the, the struggle there is for, for women. Um, and then lastly, 
the church is under attack by a liberal theology within and its inability to produce change in the world in which they exist. You'll see statistics that the church and the evangelical church in Central America is 30 to 40 percent. I don't believe that for a heartbeat. Now, there are 30 to 40 percent people that are religious that go to church and, and go through the motions of worship, but they don't know the Lord. Um, uh, when you look at the violence, the police, when I was in Guatemala one year, there was a, uh, a police chief, well, I'm going to have to move on this, uh, that was given a Bible study on TV, and yet Guatemala is one of the 10, has been in the top 10 most violent countries in the world. How can it be when we preach the gospel and it doesn't change anything? I think it's caused many a man and a woman to walk away from the church, and we have to learn how to effectively make disciples that produce churches that can live in the context and the difficulties in which God has placed them. We do need to reach the unreached, but we have to make disciples. Uh, uh, praise God that he's put the church in difficult circumstances. We need to be salt and light, but we, again, need to be equipped and capable of living the world that God has put us in. I want to talk real briefly about why are we in El Salvador? Now, that's a good question. And I would basically say we are there because uh, God opened, miraculously opened the door. Uh, I was invited a number of years ago. We hadn't had missionary personnel in nearly 10 years in El Salvador. Uh, and I don't have time to talk about this morning, but I'll just tell you this. Uh, I, I did a national pastor's conference, which I wasn't supposed to be doing. Nobody knew who I was. And while I was there, I said, can I meet with the national leadership and talk about the ministry I do? I'd, I'd, I'd love to, uh, to have an opportunity to come and do a retreat here. Well, they didn't know who I was. I didn't know who they were. And we went to a restaurant. It was noisy and crowded. We had a table that was about five miles long. And I had 20 minutes to scream what it was I was doing. And to my amazement, oh, me of little faith, they agreed to that. And that is now entering to its sixth year of my joy of being able to minister to couples. And let me tell you this, when we had our first conference, I said, when was the last time you went away with your wife? And the average of uh, that first group was older, the, probably the average marriage uh, span was 15 to 30 years of marriage, and 85% of them told me the last time they'd had a weekend away with their wife was their honeymoon. It's incredible when you think about that. Uh, and it grieves me how that impacts one's life and one's marriage when there's no more opportunity than that to nurture your love and your relationship as husband and wife. The other reason that we are there is because of the level of influence that God has given us. There are about 250 churches, about 100 church plants, and the Lord has allowed us to go in and to have pastors from all over the country that come to our retreats, uh, and they go from their mid-20s up to their mid-60s. I've never had an opportunity like this to, have, uh, to speak into so many different places in a country. And I thank God for that, and that is God doing that. Uh, and one of the things I love about Latin America is you don't get pigeonholed because of your age. Um, whether I'm talking to a couple that's 20 years old or 60 years old or 40 years old, it, they don't really look at you, how, whether you're old or young. And when I think about our culture, I grieve at how sliced and diced we are as a culture. If there's three years difference, we are convinced we don't have anything in common. We wouldn't understand each other. And the last thing I want to do is spend 15 minutes with you. And we forget that some of the richest 
and, and most precious things in life are found in cross-generational relationships. And might God enable us to be able to see that. I'm going to share with you quickly about some of the people and the group, and I'm going to share with you three generations. Uh, this is Jorge and Angie. He came to, they're our five-year uh, participants in, in Buscan, and at the end of the first retreat, Angie came up and was in tears, and, and she said, I want you to know I've been praying for five years now, and about three months ago, I quit. I've been asking the Lord to convict my husband. In fact, he's neglected us. His mistress is his work, uh, and, and I'm brokenhearted. God didn't answer, and, and we came to this retreat, and the Lord has shown me. He has given me a new beginning, and how grateful she was that the Lord had answered and had reminded her that he hadn't given up on her. Uh, and it's hard. Jorge has lost his health. I, I could take me a half page to list all the issues. And I can't tell you how many men and women down there that I deal with that have broken health. Uh, they've been burning the candle at both ends. Uh, they followed the model that most of us have left them. And it is tragic to see the the consequences there are in family and marriages and, and physical health. Um, middle generation, this is, uh, I'll put that in backwards. Oh, man, I must be doing the wrong one here. Uh, I'll go back. There's a middle couple here. We won't do that. Uh, I'll just go this one. This is Yudith and, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, and Kevin. And they represent the younger generation that I have. And, it, and again, it's a joy for me to be able to uh, start with them, and they will not have to live and go through a lot of the same mistakes that many of us have had. And uh, he is a, a super young man. She has lupus, has nearly died several times, but yet the Lord sustains him uh, and is a really dynamic young man in our group and, and will do many great things for the Lord in years to come. And I just realized, oh my goodness. Let me share with you one more. I'm sorry. I made one last chance. I told uh, Lance when I did this, I, I work on things until I usually walk up here. Uh, but I was going to show you another couple. I just want to mention this. It's Alex and Elsa. Alex is an indigenous pastor from the mountains of Mexico, and he farms several acres by hand. Uh, which is amazing to me that there are people uh, that still do that. He's probably a high school education. And in our conferences, uh, which is to me, I, I love it. We have uh, seminary graduates that live in urban centers. We have several psychologists. We have uh, a doctor. We have educators. We have uh, policemen. We have factory workers. And then we have farmers. And when all that comes together and we sit down and I watch the Spirit of God move, with all of that diversity and all those differences, and I watch him change people's lives, that is an incredible experience and privilege. It's the Spirit. And uh, to, to see the Lord touch so many lives in such diverse circumstances. Much like you, when COVID started, I didn't realize it would cause the chaos that it did. Um, it... Um, shut down El Salvador in the, in the month of March, and they were in a severe lockdown there. They went five months. You could leave your house one day a week to buy groceries and to pay bills. And when you look at the minimum salary, as you'd imagine, $10 a day, you could quickly see 
that they ran out of funds and money to be able to buy food. And the, and the basic rule there is you don't work, you don't eat. And hunger became an immediate issue, and we prayed about that and began to give and invited a bunch of you to do that. And the Lord raised up this church and other churches to join us in that. I want to thank you for that. Uh, I want to thank the giving of the church through the missions committee. And as we uh, did that, we were able to help almost all the pastors in the country, the 250 pastors, in a very tangible way, in a crisis of moment, reminding them that God is faithful. God provides needs. And when God does that, he uses other believers. And thank you for being a part of that and sharing in that. Uh, it was a tremendous testimony for many of them. Another thing we did was medical uh, costs. The hospital care was extremely limited, helped with those. And then another thing, uh, funerals. Uh, they had a decontamination process for, for bodies when people passed away that became so expensive, people couldn't uh, pay to have their loved ones, and they were buried in mass graves, which you can imagine the trauma that was for a lot of families, and we helped provide funds so that they could bring their loved ones, have them decontaminated, and to bury them in a proper way. Uh, and what they did in this, and I'll show you, this is... Um, $28 right there's enough food to feed a family of four for about uh, several weeks. And it's, it's the kind of food you stretch. It's not maybe the healthiest design, but what I appreciated so much, uh, stores had limited supplies, people couldn't leave their homes, and the leadership put together these packages, and then they sent them out in trucks. And it was uh, incredibly well done. Uh, they were incredibly responsive. And we... Uh, Again, we're blessed to be a part of that. Uh, received lots of letters of thanks, which I've passed on to many of you. And in February, uh, Buscad was recognized by the National Church for its role in relief effort. Uh, and that, again, is just a way of, of uh, allowing us to show people we love them spiritually, but we also love them physically and want to help meet their needs. And COVID brought about actually one of the greatest blessings I've seen in 10 years, Prior to COVID, most people didn't have any use for the internet. Uh, particularly if you were 40 or older in a blue-collar job, it was, it was a tool of Satan. It was just confusing. Uh, they looked at all the abuses, and there was very little positive about it. Well, as you can imagine, when the lockdown came and the need came to begin to teach and to communicate with their churches, they began to see they needed the internet. And in a span of just those five months, six months, there was a absolute transformation. And I had many a meeting with leaders where I would see a 10 or a 12-year-old adjusting the screen while mom and dad sat there to wait to connect to me. But they learned a lot about FaceTime and Zoom, and it has become a wonderful, wonderful tool that's being used all over, not only Honduras, but all over Central and South America. And one of the things that for me was such a blessing, I now meet with them on a regular basis uh, which has been a tremendous uh, tool for me to be able to stay connected, to get to know them more deeply, to know how to pray for them more specifically. And uh, it became even important. Once again, I was scheduled to go uh, just several weeks ago, and about eight days before I had my bags packed, and uh, they shut down the country again because of an increase in infections. So uh, that's a year, but it's not been a lost year. Uh, we have uh, learned a lot through working with people on the internet, and I am grateful to the Lord for that tool. Uh, and thank you for those that have prayed with us in that. When I began this about 10 years ago, the Lord really convicted me that if I wanted to see him work 
uh, I really needed to learn what it is to labor in prayer. And I, I'll confess, it's been a battle for my whole life uh, to praying extended prayer, specific prayer, and consistent prayer. And over uh, the last 10 years, the Lord's name would to grow in that area. And I specifically want to thank the many of you who pray with us. And have prayed with us not only when there's been good times, but when there's been dry times and no fruit and times of struggle. Uh, and God has honored that. And I want to remind you, we can go around the world on our knees, uh, right there in your bedroom or your living room or wherever it is you pray. Uh, and, and when you think about it, every ministry, every person, every country, every crisis, every context is in desperate need of prayer. Uh, there are seasons of ministry where we have an excess or an abundance of people or sufficient people or resources. There is no season where there's sufficient prayer. There's certainly never a season when there's abundance of prayer. And may God remind us again of the privilege we have uh, to travel on our knees. And I believe when it says the first shall be last and the last shall be first, a key characteristic will be those who labored and prayer will be those. That will be a characteristic that will mark those who are first. And may God remind us again, uh, if we pray, there will be no lack of anything in any place, in any context, in any situation. God will be glorified and people will be blessed by him. My sister introduced me to a website last year, and I want to share it with you this morning. It's called PrayerCast. How many have heard of PrayerCast? I'd never heard of it. Maybe one or so. Um, it is a website that's it, it's designed kind of after Operation World, if you know what that is, but it has on one side all the uh, stats, and then on the other side it has statistics, population, number of evangelicals. In the middle it has a map that I really love because it expands and shrinks so you can learn your geography, which is changing constantly. And then the, the greatest thing, and this is what I want to share with you this morning, are the videos. There's 195 countries, and on every country they have a video. And why is that so good? I'll tell you, when you're praying and you see faces and you see kids and you see mountains and rivers, it makes you want to pray. And it has changed uh, for me. It, it just, it, I just can't tell you. Sometimes when I do it abstractly, I get caught up. But when I can watch a video, and the cool thing about it, it shows the video and, and someone will pray, and you'll see that in a minute. And then it has a blank spot in the end where you can continue praying. But I hope that you will use this. We're going to show this. And then at, as we finish that, I will close us in prayer after the video. Our Heavenly Father, we want to come before your presence because you are the Almighty God. And we want to come before you to ask for the country of El Salvador, this country that bears your name, the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we would like to pray for the life of the president and his family, and also for his cabinet. We pray that they will lead the country with wisdom, with the wisdom that comes not from below, but the one that comes from above. We pray for a fear of the Lord in the decisions that they are making, Lord. We pray for the Assembly, the National Assembly, Congress. Pray for wisdom and for a spirit of humbleness that they will realize that without you, nothing good can happen in our country. We would like to pray against the violence that is happening as well, Lord, 
and present before you this situation where there's a lot of criminal activity and violence uh, after the Civil War was concluded. We especially pray for the gangs, the thousands of young people involved in gangs. Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you will come to the young people, to these who are in search of uh, identity. Touch the lives of young men and young women, Lord, of children who are involved in this kind of life and that their lives will be turned around just like Saul when he was uh, touched by you, Lord, on, on the way to Damascus. That all this energy, all this uh, hate that they have in their hearts will be turned into peace and joy and love that only comes from an encounter with you. We pray for your provision, especially for those in the margins, the very needy ones, the poor people, those who live in the little villages or small marginal areas of the main cities of the country. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for your church, Father, that you will raise it up at times such as this to make a difference. Pray for that 30, 35, 40% of evangelicals in the country that they will really shine, Lord, for you, that their lives, their work, their testimony, the, the transformation that comes from you will make an impact in that nation. We thank you, Father, for El Salvador, and we continue to pray for it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Father, we want to thank you this morning. I, I pray first of all for our nation. I pray you would bring healing to our country. I pray you would revive and renew us as a church. I pray you remind us that only Christ is capable of redeeming whatever it be, whether uh, as hearts are changed, cultures are changed. And I pray you would redirect us to what I believe is our, ought to be our first and only priority, and that's proclaiming your name. And may we May you give us the grace to live it in our words and our actions. May we live as a redeemed people. May we be loving and caring. And then, Father, I pray that you would give us a heart for the world around us. I pray you remind us it's so hard at times like this when we're so absorbed by so much that's happening in our own country. We forget about, again, the world which is so needy, whether we're talking about Myanmar or Senegal or Russia, or Central and South America. I pray you'd remind us, O oh Lord, of the people and the battles they're fighting and the struggles they have. I pray you'd give us hearts of compassion. I pray you would uh, enable us to use the tool of prayer cast. Thank you for that ministry, Lord, and how they've captured people and faces in a way that I find it really uh, just a blessing to see them as more than just black and white names on a piece of paper. I pray you would work in each of our hearts. You know who we are. You know where you've placed us. Uh, you know, uh, again, those things that need to change, and I'm convinced everybody's been strategically put where they are. You've placed them there. I pray you'd open our eyes to the, to the needs around us. May we learn to be priests of the King and, and to minister and to pray and, and to serve you as we live in, whether it's the schools or businesses here in Lubbock. And again, I thank you for this body of believer that's had a vision for the world. I pray you continue to grow that. I pray you continue to raise up uh, young men and women and older men and women uh, that uh, you would take and use in ways we never dreamed of. And I thank you again, Lord, for uh, our salvation, 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we started out this morning, we declare that you and you alone are worthy of all the glory. Uh, these things happen because you do them. And uh, you and you alone are capable of doing them. We thank you for your son who died on the cross that we might have redemption, we might begin anew. And then I marvel, I marvel that you've indwelled us with your Holy Spirit. We are the holy of holies. And I pray we would live out of that reality, that you would uh, allow us to uh, give us the grace to allow your spirit to live through us. Uh, and we would become light in the midst of darkness. And I pray that, uh, again, we would leave here with hope and renewed vision because you are coming and the battle's not in question. Uh, and I think uh, we rest in that. And then again, one day we know we will stand in your presence redeemed and righteous and, and at last, at last free from these broken bodies and the things that we struggle so with about who we are. And again, we love you. I thank you again for Melanie and this body of believers and the family that you've built here. And God, we, again, you are good. You are gracious. And we put all these things in your hands and we ask it in the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.